Uh, my good morning to everyone who's here and uh, everyone who's watching online, wherever you are at the beginning of these school holidays. If you've never read that passage before, at first reading, it's, it's pretty heavy language, it's pretty complex, uh, and uh, we're going to go through it today, we're going to explain it, we're going to think about how does it apply to us, and we're going to ask God that he's going to speak to us through his word. So let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we look at this word this morning, we ask for your spirit, wherever we're watching or engaging with this service, that you would just make uh, this text clear to us and help us to see how encouraging it can be for our lives. So show us your truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are continuing our sermon series on Hebrews, and we're continuing chapter 12. And chapter 12 is all about running the race. Now, I don't know, as you've been thinking about running a race, what you think of. I'll tell you what I think of. I go back to one of the worst parts of the school calendar for me. It was year seven, and it was this thing they did every year called the cross-country. Now, I don't know what that meant to you. Uh, For some of you, the cross-country might be a great, wonderful thing. For me, I grew up in Canberra, and I remember in year seven that on the PE calendar, the cross-country would happen in winter. And if you're like me, if you grew up in Canberra, you get some frosty mornings, it gets cold, and then they put you out there, they make you wear your shorts and your t-shirt, and they put a bunch of scrangly year seven kids like me out in the cold, and then they say, run, and the air is crisp and sharp, and you're running through it, and you can just feel, it's like knives in your lungs, and you're running along, oh, Oh, and it's just a painful thing. Running was a struggle. And we'd just be running along and you'd be coughing and you'd be keeping on going. You'd be freezing and you'd be cold and you'd hit some water and then the rain would come. Oh, it wasn't that bad, probably. But it was just like, why are we doing this in winter? Anyway, I'll let that go. The run was a struggle. And as we're looking at Hebrews 12, we're going to keep on thinking uh, about running this race. And it's a struggle. The the race we're running is our lives. We're trusting in Jesus, and for any believer in Christ, we're called to run the race of our lives, to run our race trusting in Jesus. We look back at the beginning of this chapter, just as a reminder, and these most awesome, awesome verses. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. That's the race we're called to run, to keep on running. That's what we want to keep on encouraging. And one of the things we get to do is we can look at all the people around us who are also running that race. We encourage each other. I spoke, I was thinking this week, um, who's someone who's been running the race for a long time? Who's someone who's gone through some tough times that I know that I could call up? So I thought, I'm going to call up Harry Goodhue. Harry's a a member of our uh, congregation, 8 o'clock, and I called him up. Him and and Pam were shopping in Woolworths, probably getting Oshies or something, I don't know. Um, But but I said to, look, I I said, uh, Harry, I know you're in Woolworths right now, um, but just off the top of your head... All the stuff you've been through, how do you keep on running the race to get to the finishing line? He said three things. He said, three things keep me running. He's in his 80s. He says, reading the scriptures and taking them seriously, 
fellowship, there's that word, Joe. I actually think it's a, sort of a cool word, not so daggy, but fellowship with other Christians and prayer. And he says uh, he, need, he, would, he added to that uh, these are the foundation. Uh, the foundation for these is resting on God and his infinite sovereignty. That's what helps Harry keep on running the race year after year after year. And I don't know where you are on the race. Some of you, some of us, maybe, maybe you just started the race. You said, yep, I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm just getting started on running this race, running for Jesus. Some of us have been running for a fair while, but as far as we can see, there's still a, ru- a running race to go. Some people have been running it for a long time. Maybe you are getting close to the finishing line. Wherever we are, we've got to keep on running the race. Maybe some, you're watching this and going, you know what, I'm, I'm not even on the race yet. I'm thinking of getting on the race. Should I do it? Should I join the race? Maybe others are going, I'm running, but I haven't actually looked where the finishing line is for a while. Am I even still in the race? This passage wants to encourage us to keep on running the race, keep on living for Christ, keep on uh, uh, living out our Christian faith day after day, week after week. So as we look at this passage, we're going to think about how do we get ourselves across the line, how do we get each other across the line, and what's in store at the finishing line. So let's go. So let's have a look at uh, verse 14 says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. This is a great thing for us to think about. We have to run our own race. And this is the writer to the Hebrews encouraging us that as we run our own race, make every effort to live in peace and to be holy. What does this mean? Holiness is a gift we've been given. When you come to the point of saying, I'm going to put my trust in Jesus, put my trust in what he's done on the cross, there's this amazing transaction that takes place where God sees you as holy. You become purified from your sins. We can't come to God, we can't have a relationship with God without being made holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So it's a gift to us. But holiness is also something we pursue. Our lives need to be reflecting God. Our lives need to be uh, reflecting our relationship with God, being set apart from God. We've got to continue to chase holiness. And that means fending off any sin that comes away along, not denying it, but recognizing it and, and fighting against it. <clears throat> and God gives, is gracious to us because he gives us peace and Peace is also a bit of an indicator. Lack of peace can be an indicator of where sin is getting in the way. We're called to pursue holiness. We've got to run our own race. We've got to keep fit. We've got to run that race, do everything we can to keep ourselves fit like any runner would. But just like we've got to run our own race, the scriptures here also encourage us to help others run the race as well. Encourage us, exhort us to say, Take responsibility to not just get yourselves to the finishing line, but we need to get each other to the finishing line. This is the joy of being in church together. It's a bit like being on a relay team. You know, imagine there's four runners in a relay team. Each of them has their own race to run, but they're also all responsible for getting each other across the line. They win as a team. 
The writer to the Hebrews is saying, we need to run our own race, but we need to get across the line as a team. Let's encourage each other to do that. And he says this in verse 15. He says, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. There's that phrase, see to it. This is for all of us. And when there's someone on our team that's having trouble, we need to take responsibility to encourage that person along. And, we've, and if that doesn't happen, if someone does walk away from their faith or if someone uh, decides to, to stop following Jesus, the writer here is saying it has an effect on the community. Maybe you've seen that in your Christian walk. You've seen someone who's walked away or has made steps away from God. It has an effect on the Christian community. The word, he uses the word bitter root there. It's like it contaminates it, like it poisons the community. It's what happened uh, in the original Hebrew community. People were rejecting their faith and it was causing friction, was causing relationship breakdown amongst the community. It's really sad. What stops us getting across the finishing line? What stops us, any of us getting across the finishing line, is when we sell ourselves short, is when something comes in the way that's more important than crossing the finishing line. Have a look at verse 16 and 17. The writer gives two examples. See to it that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he'd done. What did Esau do? You can read about Esau in Genesis 27. Uh, let, me, let me just read a few verses here. Uh, Esau came in from the open country famished. He was hungry. He said to Jacob, his brother, Quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. I don't know what red stew is, but it obviously made him hungry. And Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me anyway? Jacob said, swear to me first. Let me have the birthright. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank, and then he got up and left, and Esau despised his birthright. What did Esau do? Esau was dead set hungry. He was famished, and he gave up his inheritance, the thing that was, he hadn't got yet, but the thing that was promised that, he, that was to come, he gave that up for a meal. He gave it up for a short-term craving, and I'm sure it filled his belly, and I'm sure he was, I have no doubt he was hungry, but Esau took his eyes off the finishing line, and even the fact that he offered up, he was willing to give up his birthright, really showed he didn't value the birthright that much in the end. He didn't really value crossing the finishing line that much in the end. And afterwards, he tries with tears. He begs to take that back. He begs to get, is there another way? But his father won't let that happen. There are things that get in the way of us crossing that finishing line as we run the race. There are things that are going to come along which are going to call us and cry and make us crave and everything to disturb us from reaching that finishing line. The things that cause us to take our eyes off God. The things that, that cause us to start to think it's up to us to do it in our own strength. 
It's when we say that having money in our account is the most important thing. It's when we say that our exams are the only thing in life that matters. We take our eyes off the finishing line. It's when we can't get through the night without a few drinks. We're taking our eyes off the finishing line. It's when we get so upset over things in church or relationships, we take our eyes off the finishing line. It's when we get really sick. It's when our friends aren't really caring that much about God. We take our eyes off the finishing line. It's when we stop listening to God, to God's word. Anything that all these things we all struggle, anything that gets in the way of our relationship with God, we start taking our eyes off the finishing line, don't we? And the writer to the Hebrews is saying, this is going to happen. This is happening to you guys. It's going to happen to us. It's not worth taking your eyes off the finishing line. We have to get each other across the finishing line. We have to help each other. We have to get ourselves, get each other across the finishing line. How does it feel when you do see someone walking away from crossing the finishing line, getting out of the race. Do we feel the pain of the eternal implications of that? How do we respond when we see people taking their eyes off the finishing line? Do we stay back and say, I don't know you well enough, I'm not going to say anything, I don't want to cause any trouble, I can see that's happening but I'm going to step away? Or do we jump in with all guns blazing and want to rebuke people and come in hard and you know, Jude one twenty two. I love it. Says, "Be merciful to those who doubt." What about as a community? Are we looking out for each other? Do we? Can we keep building a culture of openness to our struggles? Because all of us, don't we? If we're running the race, there are these times, these seasons. Maybe now's one of them where we consider: Is it? It's all too hard. How do I keep on running the race? Do we have a culture of being open about that and saying, you know what, I am struggling? Do we have a culture that says it's okay to talk about these things and be real? And maybe even as you're listening to this, you're, you know, you're looking through this passage, you're saying, you know what, I'm thinking of giving it up. Are you open to chatting with someone about that? Are you seeing yourself on a signs to a path away from God? Are you open open to being real with something. We have to do everything we can to encourage and spur one another on. We've got to encourage each other in our relationships with God and the future. We have to get each other to the finishing line. We've got to do it. The other way, the other encouragement from this passage to get each other across the finishing line as we read on is to know the race we're in. And the ride to the Hebrews wants to remind us by using two pictures two mountains and these two mountains represent the race for people under the old covenant and the race for people under the new covenant the race for the people under the old covenant are those who are mentioned uh, in chapter 11 those who are trusting in the sacrificial system these are uh, traditional Judaism, and this is uh, where a lot of the people uh, in those original Hebrews would have been converted uh, from. This is the race of the people under the Old Covenant. Have a look in verse 18. He says, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness and gloom, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged no further 
be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. I don't know when you hear that, do you disconnect from that? What is it talking about? Do you disconnect from that? Have a look at some of the images in this. You look at the geographic image. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched. This is the race that those in the Old Covenant were on. When they started their race, they came to God in a specific place at a specific time. It's a picture of Mount Sinai. And so God was there at a specific place and a specific time, uh, in a geographical place. You get a picture there of uncertainty, don't you? You see the darkness, the gloom, it's violent, there's an on edge... And God is portrayed in an impersonal way. He speaks by a trumpet blast or he speaks in words that are so scary they made you afraid to say, God, stop listening. There's a threat for anyone, even an animal that takes the wrong step. There's a, it's rule-based. There's fear. Even Moses, the mediator of the faith, is fear. I hope this is not a picture of what you consider a relationship with God to be like. I know some people might, but this is not meant to be a picture of God. This is meant to be a picture of the beginning of the race for those under the old covenant. And remember that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So this is the same God, but it's a picture of that race. And the writer to the Hebrews is saying, you're in Christ. That was their race. This is the race of those heroes of old. What did they have to deal with? We look back in chapter 11. Those heroes of old were commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would be made perfect. That was how they started their race. That's a picture of the race that they started. So much uncertainty, trusting in a promise that never they never saw fulfilled. That was their race. But that is not your race. For in Christ, your starting line to the race is different. Let's read about our starting line. This is our starting line. You have not come to that, that other mountain. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Look at the language here. You have come. This is, your, this is our starting line. In Christ. And we start our race, not at a scary mountain, but in a city. The city of the living God. When we come to Christ, we don't have to go to a certain place to begin our covenant relationship with God. We can come to God anywhere. Our city is one that cannot be touched. We, can, we come to that city anywhere. And it's a city of, that lasts now and forever. And it's a heavenly thing. It's the starting line for us. It's a joyful place. You see the, the picture of joy. There are thousands of angels there. There's all those in the New Testament church that have gone before. Uh, all people, uh, God, the judge of all people is there. There's a picture of justice. And all those heroes of old 
are there as well. And Jesus is there, the mediator of our faith, the one who brings us into a relationship with God. He's there too. And the sprinkled blood is there. Not like the blood of Abel. You can read about that in Genesis. When Cain killed Abel, Abel's blood cried out for justice. Jesus' blood is there. And his blood speaks of reconciliation, speaks of forgiveness of sins. That is the city. That is the starting line that we come to. And here's the cool thing. Not only is this the starting line for your faith, for your race, it is the finishing line as well. See, unlike those heroes of old, our starting line, our finishing line are the same place. The heroes of old had a start, starting line and a promise, but they didn't know the finishing line. It's greater for us. It's better for us because we know the starting line and the finishing line. This tells us where we're starting, where we're going to finish. We're at a great advantage. 20 years ago, uh, maybe yesterday or the day before, does anyone know what happened 20 years ago? Kathy Freeman won the four by, uh, 400 metre final at the Sydney Olympic Games. She did it in 49.11 seconds. And I watched it on TV the other day. And when I watched the race and Kathy's warming up and you're, you know, it was such a significant thing, I felt a bit nervous waiting for Kathy to start the race. And I'm like, hold on, Langdon, you're dumb. And some of you will say, yes, Langdon, you're dumb. Because it was 20 years ago. I've seen it before. I watched it at the time. I know it's going to happen. But I'm still nervous. And as I watch her, of course, what happens, you know, my tape doesn't do crazy things. Of course, when I watch it again, she wins the race. I know how it's going to start. I know how it's going to end because I've seen it before. But I still love watching Kathy run the race. It's the same with us. The writer to the Hebrews, the scriptures are telling us, here's how it begins. Here's how it ends. We know that, but we've still got to run the race. Here's your starting line. Here's your finishing line. The finishing line is here, but you've got to run the race. And that's what we must do. The place we start is the place we will finish. We have to run the race. In fact, if we know the finishing line, all we've got to do is keep running. Run to the finishing line. And as we run to the finishing line, we've got to keep listening to God. We've got to put that playlist in, put the buds in our ears. I don't know what your playlist is. Uh, But we're encouraged here, look at verse 25, see that you do not refuse him who speaks. As we run that race to the finishing line, we've got to keep God's word in our ears. Esau refused God, didn't he? And he later uh, realised his error and he begged for his inheritance to be restored, but it was too late. We've got to keep on listening to God and we've got to keep on uh, obeying, not refusing. Because how much... Uh, for us who turn away from, quali- uh, if, if we turn, if we don't ign- uh, take on God's word, if we ignore God's voice, we will miss out on reaching the finishing line. And it will be too late to go back the other way. Who's this that speaks? This is the same speaker that spoke all things into being in Genesis. It's the same speaker that spoke through that mountain when the old covenant was being given. It's the same speaker that speaks through Jesus and the same speaker that speaks through God's word. So we need to listen, we need to be open, we need to take God at his word. 
And the author gives us a further picture of what is to come, what will happen. He says, continues on in verse 25. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? This is a warning to the Hebrews and to us against going down a path away from God and getting off the race. We go on in verse 26. At that time, the voice shook the earth. But now is promised once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. When you read uh, of the giving of the first covenant, In Exodus 19, what happens? When Moses brings the people uh, down outside the camp uh, and God is speaking, smoke billowed up from the mountain. The whole mountain trembled violently. When God spoke, the whole mountain trembled violently. And the writer of the Hebrews quotes Haggai, who builds on that. He says, God is not just capable and is not just going to shake a bit of the earth or an air of the earth. God in the future is going to shake the whole earth. And not just the whole earth, all the universe. The heavens as well. No one will escape. Like those in Sinai didn't escape when they refused God, we won't escape either if we refuse him. He's pointing to a future that the whole earth will shake and nothing will remain. Everything will be gone. And scripture points to this in other places. Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, points to this that there is a future coming beyond the finishing line when all the heavens and all the earth will be removed, except God's kingdom. How does that make you feel to ponder that? I went for a walk down the beach the other day. I was pondering this verse, looking out over the water and the the sunshine and the sky, going, God, are you going to bring. All of this to an end makes me feel sad. But this, you know, it's a, it's a heavy, it's a scary warning. But as much as it makes me feel sad, this is also an encouragement to say, to remember that the only thing that will not be removed is God's kingdom. And when we run the race, we are given that place in God's kingdom. Everything is temporary. Everything will be shaken. Yet not will, yet not what, yet, I'm going to have to read this because I'm getting twisty tired here. Yes, yet what not will not be shaken, yet what not be shaken, got that? Yet what not will be shaken is God's kingdom. All these things will be shaken, but God's kingdom. It's been given to us through God's word, and we need to run to that finishing line. We need to focus on it. We need to run and claim the finishing line just like Jesus ran for it. God gives us everything we need to run for that finishing line. We need to run. That's the kingdom that you've been given when you started the race. That's the kingdom that you'll receive at the end of the race. And it's going to remain forever. Like Peter says, we have an inheritance that will never perish, spoil or fade. Therefore, in verse 28, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably, acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Steve Abbott's going to preach next week. He's going to tell us about how do we worship God as we await 
How do we uh, worship God in that way as we wait for that kingdom that will not be shaken? That's what we're running for. What's our prize? You know, I never got a prize running the cross country, probably because I never would have come last anyway. But when we run a race, what's our prize for running that race? Is it a medal or a trophy? Is it a check? Our prize for running our race is an eternity in God's kingdom that will never, ever be shaken. And if that's the prize, we have got to keep running our race. We've got to keep running the race. We've got to keep running. Every time we turn up to youth group, we run that race. Every time we pray for someone, we run that race. Every time you cook a meal for someone else, you run that race. Every time you encourage someone, you run that race. Every time you call that person, you run a race. Every time you share your faith, you run that race. Every time you do something for the glory of God, you run that race. And running is hard. We can feel like it's impossible, like everything's against us. We can feel like idiots running to a different beat. It's lonely. Our bodies and desires will fight with us all the way, but we got to not be ashamed. we got to run that race. We need each other. we got to run. And when we fall over, we've got to put our hands up and say, I need help. We've got to put our hands up. We've got to throw each other on each other's shoulders and say, this race is worth getting to the finishing line. It is not worth giving up. We've got to run. We've got to remember those who ran before us, those around us who were run, the heroes of old. We've got to remember Jesus who ran his race and endured the cross and pioneered the, ra- the way for us. We've got to run through the present with the future in our eyes. We've got to keep running. The finish line is coming. Heaven is coming. We've got to keep running. Let me close with this. A reminder of Hebrews 12 again. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders, the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we've got to run the race, and we, we know it's hard. We know it's really hard and a struggle to run the race, to keep our eyes on you every second, every day. Father, but we thank you and we rejoice that you've given us this amazing finishing line, this guarantee of, this, of being in this eternal city with you. And we thank you that our starting line is also our finishing line as well. So Father, we pray that we can fix our eyes on Jesus. Look how he ran that race. Remember those heroes of old from the scriptures. Look at those running around us. Encourage us to keep on running, to keep on trusting in you no matter what we're going through. God, some of us this morning are hanging on by a thread, Lord. Father, we ask that you would just strengthen each and every one of us. Give us what we need in all the ways we want to give up, Lord. Help us to put our trust in you. Help us to run the race, Father. I pray that you would put in each of our hearts and eyes the future, what we're running for. Give us a vision for not just what we can see with our eyes, but the future to come. Help us to run the race. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.